With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. Rush into Chemist Warehouse today and grab INC Protein, powering tomorrow today. This is the House of Ats with Cam Luke and John Stephenson. There most certainly is. Hello, everybody, wherever you might be, right around Australia. And all thanks to Chemist Warehouse for great savings every day. This is the House of Ascents. An exciting time, a time to talk about athletics. We've got world titles. We've got the Olympic Games. And, of course, plenty of wellness as well with an Olympian. He's got an Olympic medal. He tore apart Melbourne in 2006 in the Commonwealth Games. And right now he's looking as fit as I've ever seen him. I speak of John Stephenson. Hello, buddy. Thank you, the great Cam Luke. What an introduction. And I've been waiting how many years for this, Cam? We talked about it. How good it would be if we got on radio together? And we're finally here. And you're quite right. It's a massive year in athletics. Uh, I think we got the momentum from Tokyo the, uh, and, and Commonwealth Games last year. And now uh, there's plenty to talk about. We've got some great guests coming up as well. We are going to do this every week until the Paris Olympics. So we're going to be chatting to the best athletes, not just in this country, but right across the world. Liz Clay is going to join us in around 15 minutes time. I've got a crazy idea, Steph, that I know you're going to agree with because you're an innovator. So I know you're going to agree with me when I get to that a little, little bit later in the show. But this is a great time. It is a great time, right? We got, you know, unfortunately, Tokyo got pushed back 12 months. We had the Com Games last year where Australia were really good. We've got a world championship this year. We're then into Paris. It is a really good time to be a high-class athlete where there are plenty of major championships. 100% Cam, and I'll tell you the reason why for this. I think, you know, for the first time, Australians, if there was any blessing that came out of COVID was the fact that Australians were forced to sit and actually watch the Olympic Games. It was the greatest thing that was on television at the time. And we really got to learn about our stars, not in the other sports that we normally get to learn about swimming and, you know, maybe maybe our cycling. We got to learn about a bit more about basketballers, our rugby players in Commonwealth Games. And especially our track and field athletes really, really benefit from having the Australian sporting public as well as the general public watching them compete at Tokyo. Roll forward in Birmingham, they had Australia was lucky enough to get, again, uh, a big dose of athletics. So for track and field specifically, um, it was a fantastic platform, which has now catapulted them. Now, it's, instead of being four years away, now Paris is right on our doorstep. And these kids somewhat become semi-household names, and they can, they can cement their position in the sporting public's mind come Paris in a year's time. It- so it's... It- very exciting time, Cam. Just take us through that momentum as an athlete, Steph. You, you've been here before, of course, the Com Games in our backyard in 06. You were, you were the flavour. You, you tore that joint apart and you were the highest profile athlete by the end of it. But momentum in athletics, as an individual athlete, how much does it spur you on? How much does it help motivate you? Oh, definitely. I, look, it, it's a perfect storm, right, in track and field. And we are a track and field show, so I'm going to be quite track and field centric. Absolutely. To what's going on here, right? You got Commonwealth Games in 2018. You get you get the that we it was great at Gold Coast. Um, we saw some performances there, and that was the taste for the Australian public and sporting public. We then get news that 2032 we're going to host Olympic Games. We all remember Sydney 2000. 
I mean, when I when I travel around the world now and I speak to other athletes from other countries and you ask them what their favourite games was between Athens, Sydney, London, Beijing, Rio, they all say Sydney. We know how to throw a sporting mm-hmm. event down here. So this is etched, you know, in a lot of our athletes' minds. So when you start to look at Paris into Los Angeles in 2028 and then around the corner, it'll seem for some of these younger athletes, 2032, you know, you start to really take these games quite serious because you look at them as stepping stones, right? When you're younger, depending on your age, if you're in the middle of your career, September of your career, you go, damn, Paris is my, is my last event. So I've got to throw everything at it. If it's you're 18 or 16, look at and go, if I can make Paris, it's going to step me like the Sally Pearson. We saw Sally, we saw her, you know, etch away from world championships 23 at 203. And then she built a well way to become the champion that she was. So for some athletes to be a stepping stone, for other athletes, it could be the last roll of the dice. So, um, let me tell you something, it's Olympic Games, Cam. You leave no stone unturned because it's the best of the best to compete around the world. So you make sure you're ready. So this is the point that I want to ask you as well because we are, what, 15, 16 months out. We've got a major championship prior to that with a world championship. We've got a, a weird year where we've got back-to-back world championships because COVID again, Oregon last year got pushed back. The The, the fact is, how do you go about it? Is it is it an individual because it is the Olympic Games, right? So as an individual choice, do you sit down with a team, your coach and everyone else? Because everyone pushes the Olympic Games, but not everybody can peak based on your age or your experience or whatever event you might be having a go at it. How big are these conversations away from the training track when it comes to working out what's the best thing for an athlete, even if it's not specifically the Olympic Games? It's a very, very, very good question, Ken. You tell you've been hanging around very smart track and field athletes in your time can tell that can you know i can i can see with your level of questions <laughs> are you deflecting <laughs> as you didn't know the answer or what do you give me something Steph? Oh, give me something <laughs> a bit of a rap you can but no no i i i it's it this is something which i think this forum that we have now the house athletes that chemist we are so proudly supporting is, is fantastic to tell our athletes the athlete story in track and field i think you know, in our sport, we, we in the sporting culture in Australia, we hear a lot about football, NRL, mm-hmm. and all these big commercial sports. So we really get to know, we feel like we know these athletes that play these codes. Um, when it comes to an athlete's preparation for a game, it's very, very difficult, right? Because you're right, you've got to perform for three days if you're running a track event. Sometimes if you're a decathlete, it's two days. Um, and you've got to make sure you're on um, for that those three days, four years out from your planning, um, which means that, you know, you get injuries along the way. You could have, you know, issues personally with the family. You could financially, you, you could be struggling to to support your sport. You could have, you know, your own your own family. And you've got to make these adjustments uh, according to your goal. And the one goal that every athlete wants is to represent the country Olympic Games. It's, it's the pinnacle. Uh, so, you know, the, the, what an athlete will be going through now, say a year out, um, is, is do I put all my eggs in world championships coming up in three months' time? Do I focus all my energy into Olympic Games and use World Championships as a stepping stone? These are conversations they're sitting down having with their coach. Nationally, is sometimes a good indicator for them how good they're going this year, whether they just pull the shoots, take their time, get ready for Olympic Games. It's a very difficult time because if you don't use World Championships as a stepping stone for Olympics, you could be underdone for Olympics. You use World Championships, could cook yourself before Olympics. So um, this is something which I think the Australian public don't, really understand how hard it is that an athlete has to get ready every four years to be the best he possibly or she can be on that day, four years out or two years out from world championships. How meticulous, uh, of course, you, you you won that silver medal in the relay at the 04 Olympics in Greece, right? 
And in 2006, like all Australian athletes, you half alluded to it. You set yourself, or like any athlete around the world, if it's in your backyard, you, you set yourself. How meticulous were you towards Melbourne for Commonwealth Games, where, of course, you won the double gold? Well, it's funny. A funny story. When I did uh, uh, made the Olympic team, I didn't want to go to the Olympics. What do you mean? I was, yeah, I didn't want to go. Why? Oh, Hang man, on, so like, you, you weren't going to go to the Olympics because you were lazy? Not lazy. I just, I, I did. I went to World Championships yeah. uh, the year uh, before, and I just, I don't know, athletic, I was a fighter, I was a boxer, so mm-hmm. athletic, very different sport and very different people. You know, where in boxing, if you if you if you talk if you talk it up, you got to back it up. Where running, you can sort of talk and and you know, there wasn't any really con- it was very different for me and strange that you know, I had boxing my whole life so when I went to Olympic Games I got thrusted into um, you know into becoming a professional athlete because we won a medal and then after that I started taking my sport seriously and uh, I went to World Championships made the final of the World Championships and that really gave me the confidence to think I could win Commonwealth Games but even before Commonwealth Games I was happy just to get a medal but as the games got closer my preparation got better the goalposts sort of changed shifted and I was like you know what let's win the darn thing you know and um, and I was Blessed on the day for everything to fall in my hands. So a lot, a lot of hard work, but a lot of planning. I had a very good coach. I used to train in America. He coached Maurice Green, Otto Bolden, Mary Jo Parekh. Um, the list continues. So he knew how to get me right for it. He's like a good horse trainer, Cam. Absolutely. Like so the good horse trainers know how to get the horses <laughs> up on the right days, you know. So uh, my coach knew how to do that. And uh, and we were very confident, you know, when I had good planning, good preparation, a great team, I was very confident leading up the championships. If he said I was ready to go, um, I believed it. And then um, I went and attacked it. So, uh, uh, yeah, it was, um, yeah, it was, I was, I was really, I was in a very fortunate position in my career that I had a lot of, I had having the Commonwealth Games uh, at home, um, right in the peak of my career, it, it didn't matter where that race was going to be run in Australia. I was going to win it that day because it was, it was like the perfect, it was what I, what I watched Danny Green when I went to Olympic Games fight um, at the convention centre in Sydney and seeing all the Australian crowd cheering for him. got shivers. I was watching that day. He fought a Russian by the name Alexander Levziak in the semi, in the, in the quarterfinal. And the Alexander went on to win the gold medal. And just the crowd, I thought, man, one day, if I can ever have that feeling of a crowd screaming for me, um, that'll do me. So, um, I was lucky enough to have that at Commies. Yeah, you're one of the rare athletes that is probably remembered more for Commonwealth Games medals than Olympic medals. There would be people right now, in all due respect, who are unaware that you actually have an Olympic silver medal. Does that, it's somewhat, considering what the Olympic Games is seeing when it comes to track and field in particular, does that, does that surprise you that there may be some people who aren't 100% hardcore track and field people who may not be aware you have an Olympic medal in your back pocket? Not at all. I think, and this is one of the reasons Mario and, and the great team Absolutely. put this show together. I said, like, just tell the stories, right? So people to start to to get familiar uh, with with the with track and field in this country. If you talk sixty years ago, it was track and field and swimming was really the pinnacles of Australian sport because it was such a global sport. So, um, you know, no, not really. I mean, look, end of the day, when I came to the sport, I made a very conscious decision that. Um, in order to, to gain attention that running didn't have the mediums that was needed like other sports. And I had to make sure that I was an entertainer and, and whether people loved me or hate, hate, hated me, I, I made that conscious choice um, because I had to make a living out of the sport. Now, I don't recommend that for any other young kid, but it was just, it was a path that I took. I lived in America. I had the great Maurice Green. He's one of the greatest showmans in the sport. 
which uh, which I cut my teeth, my apprenticeship with him, um, and um, and I and I have absolutely no regrets. I love Commonwealth Games. I think it's one of the greatest competitions. When I ran the race, I think I had the the, the world indoor champion, uh, the former world number one in my race, uh, the former world number three, and the future world number three, future world number two, all in one race. So for me, it was like winning world champ. So, um, but I knew the sport. You know, the people, the purists know the sport and you understand it. So, um, look, man, I'm, I'm truly blessed, Cam. We talked about this off mm. air when we hang hanging out. I'm really blessed with the career that I've had because I look at these young athletes today and I watch how hard they work and I watch how a lot of the times they don't get the recognition that they, they deserve. And I'm, and I'm happy to be doing the show with you, man, because we can try and, you know, put the first brick of turning that around. This is why we're here, to expose the superstar athletes who do this day in, day out onto a bigger stage as we head towards, you know, some major championships. A couple of things. I'll ask you about how you're going at the moment, health and wellness. You're looking in unbelievably great shape. But did you ever run at stall? We had the stall gift a couple of weeks ago. Did you're you ever run at stall? You really want to do that to me? You really want to do that to me, Cam? Have you? I want to let people know on the show. Let's get a few things straight here. Cam yes. is an comes to, to, to athletics and track and field. He loves it. So I do not let him fool you. Like, oh, he knows now I ran it stall. I ran it in well. <laughs> and it was, it was, you know, it was the only day, it was the only day that I actually cried in my career. Go on. And those, I'll give, those that, that don't know what happened, I'll give you a bit of background. I was, it, I was, it was my last year in my career. We talk about those athletes in the September, their career and coming up to Paris. This was me for London. And I was in the September of my career. I was sort of, I knew I was, you know, I was sort of on the back end and, and I needed to make London really happen. So I trained with the great Felix Sanchez, ended up winning London in the 400 meter hurdles. We moved to America together. We lived in a house for three months. I turned my phone off. We trained our backsides off. I come to Perth and I end up winning Perth Grand Prix. And it was that famous or infamous uh, interview where I said I murdered those kids out there that day and someone should dial 911. Um, and because I, I was in great shape. So anyway, that whole season, I won every race. I beat Ray Rodisha in Sydney, and I felt I was flying to South Africa to set a, I wanted to set a world lead at altitude. Um, and, but before that, Stall Gift, which I love Stall, they, they asked me to be an ambassador to come down, and um, they looked after me financially, and I thought, I'll go down there, and I got the mark. And my mark was, I thought, these guys are having a laugh. Like, you're giving me six metres. Like, there's no way they'll catch me with six metres. So I said to my coach, you reckon if I run this, is that all right? Because I know we're flying on Monday. Is that okay? And he goes, yeah, yeah, we'll use it as speed work because you haven't done any speed work all season because we're getting ready for Europe. I put some speed, we'll go to South Africa, go to altitude, set a world lead, and it'll set us up for Europe for your campaign. So anyway, I run stall. I run the heat. I win the heat. Then I run the semifinal, and I, and I end up beating the favourite in the semifinal. I short to to $1.30 for the final. I'm thinking I'm going to collect forty grand. i am thinking I've just beat the favourite. I'm just going to now show up to the race run the final, get my 40, jump back on the plane to South Africa, and life's good. Johnny Steph's got a bit of speed work. He's picked up a nice check. Halfway through the final, ripped my hamstring, 14-centimeter tear, and it just ruined my whole Olympic campaign. There was a wrap after that, and I still to this day don't understand. I cried all the way from Stall to Melbourne, and and, uh, and then the long journey to Rio before before London happened. So uh, I love Stall. It's a bit of a love. Hey, every time I watched it this year, and I was like, oh. Man, he's the one that got away. But uh, them's the breaks, Cam. In my defence, I knew you'd ran stall. I didn't realise we were going to have the, the, the sporting tragic aftermath. I, I was unaware of the 14-centimetre hamstring 
Uh, that uh, unfortunately happens to athletes, but uh, sucks every single time it does. Before we get to a break, Liz Clay, not far away. She'll join us all thanks to Chemist Warehouse. You look fit as all hell, mate. You're living in Thailand and you're looking great. Tell us about what you're doing to make sure you stay in this type of great shape. Yeah, so I, I, I travel quite a bit. So I'm not actually living in Thailand. I've spent a lot of time here, okay. do a lot of stuff in Europe and still back home uh, quite a bit. And uh, I, think, I think everyone learned. Cam, after COVID, you and I had a conversation with Pierre about this, that the importance of our health mm-hmm. um, and how quickly we taken away from us. I just made a conscious decision after COVID. I wanted to get in um, really good shape and start to enjoy my training. We talked about, I've got this 80-20 rule where 80% of, the, of my week, um, I'm very uh, I'm diligent. My behaviours of both my eating and my training and then 20% of the week. It's normally the weekends, Cam. I like to uh, indulge and have a little bit of fun uh, watch the watch uh, watch the Mo V8 motorsport mates, and uh, enjoy enjoy some of the indulgences with my with my youngsters. So uh, yeah, I, I'm wrapped, man. I mean, I mean, I'm in great shape. I'm feeling good, and uh, I think uh, if you look good, you feel good, Cam. And if you feel good, Cam, you do what, man? You run good. Oh my days, bro! If we're gonna do this, you oh, need mate. to be on. <laughs> the way you were leading me into it, it was like that actor in Underbelly who dropped at the Logies. And you know what? I know we're on late night, but I don't think I can swear or make some type of um, innuendo <laughs> gag. Oh, perform good, is it? <laughs> well, run good, perform good. We'll work it out. We'll get there. The chemistry, the chemistry will build. You do look great, though. And uh, every time we speak, in fact, the last time, is it the last time you actually had a foot race? We were together in Devonport and somebody challenged you to a foot race in the main street of beautiful Devonport and Tasmania, and you pulled up a little short there as well, if I recall. I got him, but I pulled up lame. <laughs> <laughs> and Brownie, Campbell, Frank Campbell Brown, Hawthorne, great football player, uh, he recorded the whole thing. You can see the moment the hammy went, mate, but I got him, Cam. We never lose. Uh, hey, all the way to- wins a win, man. Win's a win. That's all that matters. Uh, we're up and running, uh, literally and figuratively. John Stephenson, he's on fire. Cam Luke here. We're going to talk plenty more athletics. You can drop us a text anytime you like as well. Head into Chemist Warehouse for great savings every day. Liz Clay, talking Olympics. She's been there and she wants to get back there in just over 12 months' time. She'll join us next right here on the House of Athletics. Rush into Chemist Warehouse today and grab INC Protein, powering tomorrow today. This is the House of Ats with Cam Luke and John Stephenson. Well, thanks to Chemist Warehouse. Head into Chemist Warehouse for great savings every day. I've got a brilliant idea. John Stephenson and I are going to talk about it shortly. But for our very first guest on this particular show, Johnny Steph, we sat down. We've been on this show for four months. And in the end, we all agreed that there's only one person to get. And it's, uh, it's our favourite, Liz Clay, of course, 100 metre hurdler, been, who joins us been. now. <laughs> Liz, hello to you. Welcome. Hello. How are you guys? We're, we're, we're doing well. How are you doing? More importantly, how are you all doing? And I think a lot of us uh, watch you on Instagram and some of the challenges you've had in the last couple of years. How are you doing right now? How's it all tracking? Yeah, I'm going really well. Um, definitely had my challenges over the last few months and, and yeah, kind of the last few years as well, if you look back, but going well just going through the motions and trying to get ready to maybe have a crack this year and then obviously get ready for the big one next year we, we spoke johnny steph and i and i'll let him loose on you in a moment but uh we spoke off the top of the show about the, the meticulous conversations and preparations at certain times and certain athletes in their career and of course a world championship and having a crack this year compared to an olympic year 
next year. How, how deep are those conversations with with you right now and your team about there, there might be some frustration when you can't do certain things or compete in certain events, but knowing it's for the greater good? Yeah, I think that's one of the biggest conversations that we have every week. Everything comes back to, well, Paris is next year. How is this going to affect the preparation for that? And I guess the most dominant thing is, you know, I broke my foot last year. Um, and coming back from such a major injury like that, it takes time and you can't rush it. So, you know, if we're looking at this year, yeah, I'd love to do all this training to, you know, qualify for Budapest, the world championships and make that a reality. But with every conversation about that, it's okay. Well, how does this affect Paris? Cause you don't want to do too much too soon and you don't want to overextend yourself. You want to have some, you know, juice left in the tank. So comes up almost every day. Hey Liz, walk us through. Um, this is something I think for for the for the for the couch spectator they don't understand. You, you we we understand you had the incident, you fall over. Do you realize at that moment your foot is broken, or is the adrenaline ru- rushing through your veins? And where do you take yourself mentally? Do you automatically start thinking about Paris, or do you go, all right, not that bad, I'll deal with this, and and start thinking about Budapest instead? Like where where does your mind go? Walk walk the couch spectator through that for, sort of feeling. Yeah, it was that kind of five minutes of my life was so surreal. Um, You know, the fall happened in slow motion. I think it was about hurdle seven or eight. Um, And I I looked up and I realised what had happened. And I can't make this up. The first thought that I had was Jasmine Camacho Quinn fell at Rio and she won the next Olympics. That is the first thing that came into my head. I have this picture. I, I could draw the picture. I know it so well. And then I literally just got up and just started walking to the finish line. And I was like, I'll deal with whatever it is. I know it's bad, but that's the first thought that I had. And I it was broken. Did you feel or did you think, oh, I just bruised it? Oh, I I knew. Um initially I thought that I'd cracked the spike plate because when I was putting weight on my foot, it just did not feel right at all. But you know me, I was like, I'm gonna walk this off. Um, and then I went through the media and I got to a set of stairs and I was like, I said to our team doc, I was like, there's no way I'm getting down these stairs. Um, and then after that, I knew it was like extremely bad, but yeah, I, there was, I just, you know, had, you just had to pick yourself, pick yourself up and, you know, we're on the world stage. So my, like my persona and my brand is you just get up and keep going. So that's what I did and deal with the consequences later. Which, which I think on that too, Liz, and of course, we, we spoke off the top of the show, Steph and I, about the Olympic Games and being in COVID and so many people being able to do nothing but watch. And I think you're an athlete that most certainly the way you competed and, and, and the way you carry yourself, it ease yourself to so many people who now watch your journey. And exactly what your brand is and what you just described it there is exactly how people view you each and every day that even though it sucks at certain times you don't do refuse to give up and everyone has full confidence that you will be at Paris in 13 or 14 months time yeah yeah that's it and you know I I keep saying through this whole process of recovery that I think this is the hardest week no I think this is the hardest month no this is the hardest time where really it's all been hard in its own way sometimes physical sometimes mental um, but there's never been a doubt and there's never been a doubt from the rest of the team. So it really is just a matter of just picking yourself up and keep going. Now, the whole thing. Uh, of course, Sally Pearson, 
an idol and, and a superstar athlete is someone you'd look up to. Did you ever look at John Stephenson growing up and think, you know what, I want to base a lot of what I do and how great this guy is? You know, I came into the sport so late. You know now. I made sure we spoke before this. <laughs> That's why John called me before this, just to check that I knew who he was in the backstory. <laughs> no, I actually started really late. So Sally Pearson was, other than Kathy Freeman, Sally Pearson was the first Australian track and field athlete that I'd really heard of. Um, and so as I got into the sport, like kind of after I'd left high school, that's when I learned about everyone. And I think Johnny was coming to the end of his career um, I will, when I... I will say this, sorry, just... I will say this. This is a really good story when I first met Liz Clay. Um, a very good friend of mine by the name of Nadia Benussi, uh was doing a TV commercial. I don't know if you remember this. And I think you and Trey I remember. do remember, right? And, uh, and this is a testament to Liz, her fortitude, her mindset, and this is one thing that most athletes don't get, understand their marketability. And this is, if you go to Liz's uh, Instagram page, Liz, watch the Instagram page, give it a shout out quickly. It's at Liz Clay underscore. At Liz Clay underscore. You will see how, I mean, the, the, what she makes sure her fans and the engagement she has. And she started, with those that don't know, so long ago, engaging a fan. She knew what she wanted out of the sport and through hard work and dedication has got herself to where she was before Olympic Games, where she is now. So it's it's a it's a cool story watching you, Liz. And I, I know it's just the beginning for you, but having a hurdle like that injury now, we move forward to Budapest. Goals are? Goals are just get there. Um, I think, you know, I've been humbled by this process a lot. Um, I came out and ran uh, the flat 100 at National Championships this year, purely because I'd been training through this injury and I was actually really bored and I missed competing and I knew it wasn't going to be amazing, but I just wanted to put the uniform on, put the spikes on, do a warm up in a comp environment and just get myself back into that kind of mode. Um, so yeah, I was humbled by, you know, the time on paper from that, which is fine. Um, and really going into Budapest, we have no idea, you know, I'm planning to go to Europe and I could, come out and run 12-7 off the bat and be like, great, I'm on the team or come out and not quite reach the mark and grind through Europe a bit. It's really the most blind that I've ever gone into a season. But also I think back to the Liz Clay you spoke about in 2018 and 2017 um, and it's really, I feel like I'm in the same boat. I don't know what my ceiling is. I don't know where I'm at. And if I could do it back then, I can definitely do it with the knowledge that I have now. That's brilliant. I, it absolutely is. I just want to change tack just quickly because uh, the Phoenix Suns, you're a huge NBA fan and Kevin Durant, the Phoenix Suns. I did notice on your Instagram, you were watching it at home and then you had to go to watch while you're at the track on your phone. You're, you're a monstrous Suns fan. How did you get into the Phoenix Suns? Oh, I got into the Phoenix Suns um, because my friend Ella Nelson was training in Phoenix for a number of years. Um, and I did a couple of trips over there to get some experience and meet coaches. And we ended up going to this party. Some of the players were there. And then we found ourselves at a game. And I just had the best time um, at the game. And then, yeah, we, we went to another one and I came back and I feel like I had an affiliation with the team a little bit. Um, and then I really started getting into 
you know, the fashion and the culture and how players hold themselves. And I'm just always so in awe of the whole of the NBA. I just love it. Um, and off the back of that, I, yeah, got into the sport. It gives me something to do when I get home from training that isn't just watching Netflix. I feel like, you know, you feel like you're a part of something. I just love everything about it. You, you are. Brother is, a, is an absolute basketball tragic and he had to take it there. Yeah. It is a house of athletics. I, you know, we try and stay on athletics, mate. I agree. You know? We need to find the backstories to our wonderful athletes that inspire them. And Kevin Durant, Liz and I have spoken about Kevin Durant when he got traded to the Phoenix Suns. And I was like, you know what? I just wanted to find out the backstory, how she is. She's the hardest core Phoenix Suns fan in the country, I'm going to go as far to say. <laughs> Oh, I don't think so. But I will tell you, when Kevin Durant got traded to the Suns, I reckon that was probably the happiest five minutes of this year for me. <laughs> I, I love it. We've got to let you go, Liz. But I do want to ask you, you, you mentioned Europe. Do we expect to see you over the hurdles in Europe? What, what And when, like, how does it all look? Do you do you have any type of clear indication of how your, your, your track meet looks? Yeah, absolutely. Um, I've booked a flight. I've got a date that I'm leaving. Um I've really got a lot of hard work to do between now and then. So it depends. It depends on, you know, what shape I'm in the week before I'm leaving. But the goal is, and me and John talked about this before, is to just go. I can't take a, a year off racing. You know, I need to get out there. I need to I need to get back into it, whether it's great or whether it's average. Um, but yeah, planning to do some meets starting in Finland. And then for me, I know a lot of athletes like to have it all planned out, but Every time I plan it out, it changes completely. So I just, you know, get the first two weeks locked in and then yeah, see where it goes from there. Well, we, we have full faith that it's going to continue to go up and we can't wait to see you do what you do this particular year. And then we're doing this. I'm not sure if you know, we're doing this every week all the way to Paris. And we uh, then expect to get a junket to Paris and see you there competing. We can't wait for it, Liz. So thank you for joining us. Keep killing them, Liz. Thanks so much. Superstar. Thanks, guys. Liz Clay, at Liz Clay underscore. Make sure you jump on her Instagram because Johnny Steph uh, very correctly said how great it is. She gives you a great insight to her own journey. And when it comes to what she does on a regular basis, she fights herself back into tip-top shape. For Chemist Warehouse, this is the House of Athletics. Rush into Chemist Warehouse today and grab INC Protein. Powering tomorrow today. This is the House of Ats with Cam Luke and John Stephenson. Well, thanks to Chemist Warehouse, John Stephenson, Cam Luke, House of Athletics. You can get involved anytime you like. Drop us. Drop us just a little text to say how we are going, how Johnny Steph is going, and how, as we head towards the Olympic Games, we know the Chemist Warehouse is flying. They're flying right now. But, Steph, a couple of things I want to throw to you or you, okay? You ready for this? I am. What do you make of this whole situation around the Olympic Village and the very fact that uh, once you've competed, you've got two days to kind of get out. And I know track and field is later in the athletics. So this is actually maybe going to help the, the track and field athletes without having people partying. But what do you make of the situation and the discussion around it? Well, it's great for track and field because and I, I know for my opinion, we, at two Olympic Games, we were the very last event of the whole Games. Um, so we had no choice but to stay in the village right towards the end. If you look at it for the other sports now, I think it absolutely is horrible. Mm. I think it sucks. You know, like, I think, you know, when you make Olympic Games, there's two parts of this, right? Um, I never did an opening ceremony because the great Brett Hawke, 50-metre freestyle, soon a long Commonwealth Games. I um, can't remember what year. I think maybe Kuala Lumpur, maybe, but, or Manchester. Um, he 
I remember when I won Commonwealth Games, I was sitting with him. Um, uh, I'm pretty sure Michael Klim was there. Um, uh, and we were we were talking about um, whether I was going to go to the opening ceremony. He said, John, you're here to compete, not participate, right? So in the sense of he was saying, you're not a spectator. It's a year to win a medal. He goes, we go to closing ceremonies and showcase what we want. And I had it etched in my mind. I looked up to Brett. So I forever was like, all right, that's the play. Um, so when I look at it and, and I hear what the AOC have decided to do, I think if you're there to compete, you're there to win medals, you're there to you know get your, your haul of goodies and, and go home. The flip side of that is it's not often in your sport that like-minded people from around the world come together and celebrate the uniqueness of federated sports, right? And the uniqueness of the history of the games, um, the history of the villages, um, the history of, of, of what, um, you know, past athletes have gone through to become champions and those that have near missed. Um, you get to spend that with your, your fraternity for two weeks and, and it, it, is, it is a really nice feeling to be celebrated within the, within the city and within the culture of that hosting games. And you spend time with your family. It's almost well giving thanks as well. Your family come and see you. You spend some time in the in the city. And so I see both parts of, of the issues with it. And if I had to choose, I'd like to think that this is the one little gift an athlete gets, mm. right? I mean, especially in federated sports, the, often the fiscal benefits aren't there, like your big commercial sports like AFL, NRL, you know, and some of those other sports, and football, soccer, sorry. So I look at it as the one reward an athlete can get um, which is their time to shine for that two weeks. You pull those, you limit those days a little bit from them. I think that's a little bit harsh if you ask me. I, I actually find it very interesting and I totally understand where the AOC is coming from. And a lot of it is stemmed from Tokyo where COVID dictated you had to get the hell out of the Games Village once your event was pretty much done. And, and Tokyo's uh, Olympic Games like we'll never, ever see again due to what was happening in the world. The, the thing that I would like to maybe see is to see them help athletics or athletes financially to stay in Europe so they can go to the closing ceremony, okay? So it's pretty much been said, you can stay in Europe at your own expense and you're more than welcome to come to the closing ceremony. What happens, Johnny? What happens, and I want to know, what if someone in the swimming... Ariane Titmus wins five gold medals. She's the woman or the person selected to carry the flag at the closing ceremony. Is she expected to pay her own way to stay near no. Paris just to get back in? <laughs> no, no, I'm sure she'll get well, well, well. Yeah, well I, I agree. It was that's a little tongue in cheek, but I think that I, I think know, I'd I like know. to see the AOC at least subsidise a little bit if these athletes wanted to stay close and out of their own pocket so they could celebrate their hard work. Yeah, I couldn't agree more. And I think, you know, the big commercial beast of the IOC um, and also the AOC, I think, like I said, you know, federated sports are, are commonly known not to not to be the, the big the big money earners for athletes. So, um, you know, when you're looking, you're looking at a cute case like Ariana Titmus, no, I think the AOC do very well looking yeah. after their staff, especially once they're, once they're won. I think what you're saying yeah, I am. after the whole, let's start looking after everyone. Yes, right? let's, true. let's give everyone the moment. No, no, I agree with you. And I think um, this will be something that I have to look at quite closely um and uh again this is more and more the reason why you look forward to having a home games which those lucky athletes in 2032 get to experience hey now all thanks to chemist warehouse this is the house of athletics johnny stephenson cam luke make sure you head into chemist warehouse for great savings every day this show is going to change athletics right across the world johnny steph you did a wonderful job i no doubt we'll talk nitro 
uh, as the weeks and the months pass. But I want to throw something towards you right now. I want to, at some point, you and I discuss an innovation in athletics that ends up happening, right? And I'm going to start with it right now. Are you ready for this? Go on. I know you're going to agree straight off the bat. In fact, I reckon we've already spoken about it. Cross country. I told you are. The track and field cameras. I, I love it. I love it. There should be a cross-country event in the Olympic Games. I'm a sprinter. What are you talking I, I know about? you're a sprinter. You're a retired sprinter, but you're also an innovator. And you're a thinker. And you're creative. And we just had the World Cross-Country Championships in our backyard at Bathurst in New South Wales a, a month or so ago, a couple of months ago now as I look at the calendar. Well, Give me a reason why you think because that cross-country Olympic Games. I, a winter sport in a summertime. It, it, you know what else is a winter sport? Basketball. No one ever says that the basketball should be in the Winter Olympics, do they? Essentially, it would be a great... So you go from 10K on the track to you either got 10K or you've got 42K to run through the streets in the marathon. Cross country is an extremely, extremely competitive sport dominated traditionally by the same nations that we have who dominate the 5 and the 10K. It is able to then show a much different track. Like what Bathurst did was choose your own adventure. You're rolling through a vineyard. Oh, you want to go this way? I'll go this way. I like the idea of a a 12 or a 15K, pit yourself up against the countryside and away you go. The elements. Here's some mud. Oh, here's a monstrous log you've got to get over. I like it and I have no doubt that the cross-country fraternity, of which the Australians won a medal in the relay, are going to be on my side, Johnny Steph. Shout out to the team, uh, the organising committee, local organising committee, yeah. World Athletics, everybody Athletics Australia that put together uh, World Cross Country. They, it was that I can speak from first-hand experiences working uh, and helping the federation. They, a lot of blood, sweat and tears was put in to put that uh, World Cross Country. And, and like you pointed out, Cam, it was great to watch our Australian athletes compete and the world compete at home. And, and um, look, I don't think, look, this, I don't think the innovation is crazy. Mm. We keep some tradition, Cam. Okay. We leave that there with winter and we just I, keep it in summer. I was actually going to open with the elimination mile should be an Olympic sport, but then I remembered that you actually came up with that idea, so I uh, went with World Cross Country instead. Yeah, that would have been the first episode, Cam. You could have gone that one. Man. I know. I'm like, I don't want an easy win straight up, so uh, we'll get to a break. All thanks to Chemist Warehouse. It's the House of Athletics. Rush into Chemist Warehouse today and grab INC Protein, powering tomorrow today. This is the House of Ats with Cam Luke and John Stephenson. Well, thanks to Chemist Warehouse, John Stephenson, Cam Luke, and our next guest, Johnny Steph, is an outstanding young athlete in her own right. But, uh, of course, Little Athletics is where so many people start their sporting journey. She's no different. She's a great ambassador for it. In fact, as I welcome Amelia Sir Chin, she would love to know, I think, that it's where I peaked in my athletics career in under nines uh, about 30-odd years ago. Hello, Amelia. Welcome to How You Doing? Hi, good things. Thank you so much for having me. It's great to be chatting ahead of ALAX this weekend. I'm super excited. It, it, it's, it's a cool thing, right? This weekend, of course, we've got the uh, the Cabri Australian Little Athletics Championships. It's going to be nuts. It's part of what's a huge festival in Melbourne. And it is going to be a great weekend for young athletes around the country. Yeah, I'm super excited to see our little finest little athletes head to the top of their careers and so far of what, what they've been involved in. What what is your uh, just sorry sorry Steph just what what's your little background on it Amelia how did you get into it because I I've been told you had about five different sports to choose from such was your talent 
Yeah, so I started Little Athletics um, in under sevens down at Ashmore Little Athletics. Um, I never really won anything. So my favourite part of um, Little Athletics was definitely Relay Day, getting to put the green paint on my face and with all my friends. Um, I was definitely more successful on the footy field, um, but that was only really because of the speed that I had developed through Little Athletics. So um, it wasn't right up and I wasn't successful until under 13s where I won my first um, bronze medal at Queensland State Champs Pentathlon. Um, and that sort of led me to be selected for the Little Athletics National Camp in 2018. And after that is when I decided to really take athletics seriously and narrow it down to one sport. Well, it's interesting you say to me because you were quite right that uh, speed kills and also can pay the bills. But uh, <laughs> the question I have for you is you were great touch football, swimming and athletics. Yes. If you choice to go back now, would you still choose athletics and especially would you still choose the empathic? I definitely would still choose athletics. I love the individual side of things where it's you do the performance, you run the time, you qualify, you get to go. Whereas a lot of the team sports I was involved in before I really chose athletics, it was more like, who do you know? What coaches like love you? Um, and then you have to rely on other members of teams to make, to make yourself look good. So I really enjoy the individual aspect of athletics. Spoken like a true individual athlete. And, you know, I quite agree with you, uh, Amelia. That was uh, probably one of the main reasons why I did track and field because I wanted all <laughs> the shine, Amelia. Hey, Ken. Oh, absolutely. <laughs> it's hard to argue. You're a showman and you would have had to share the spotlight with teammates if you had actually played a team sport. Uh, Amelia, just a little bit about where you are right now because you are an extremely promising young athlete and heptathlon is the way you're leaning, but individually you're, you're actually competing fairly well in individual in the individual events. Yeah, so um, last this season I've sort of started my season pretty late coming off such a massive year last year, you know, going into World Juniors and placing pretty well. So at the National Championships this year, I just decided to just do the heptathlon because Last year, I was so individualized in hurdles and um, long jump, but um, I really have my heart set on the heptathlon, so I'm hoping to continue with that, and I have such an amazing coach, Glennis Nunn, so I'm really, yeah, I'm super excited to continue in the hep. Well, Johnny, Steph, and I spoke about this off air, uh, and, and Johnny will allude to this. When you are coached and you have someone in your corner who is a legend in any sport, as Amelia does, Johnny, it goes a long way to keeping you motivated and, and making sure you get to the top of your game. Yeah, definitely. She's, she's a great fan uh, is who Cam is referring to. But you also, you're, you're, biggest, you're a big fan of Katarina Johnson-Thompson and uh, you, had little, you had a little bit of trials throughout last year. How did you stay motivated, Amelia? Yeah, so I did have um, two viral infections in a row at the beginning of 2022. Um, this meant that I couldn't really train properly for three months. And during the qualifying period for World Juniors, I had no qualifications next to my name when I had the previous year. So going into nationals, I was probably in the worst headspace. And um, these little setbacks almost ruined my relationship with the sport, but I managed to sneak in a few qualifiers in long jump and hurdles just right at the end of that qualification period, even though I was aiming to make the selection for the heptathlon, which I missed by 38 points. Mm. Um, but definitely having my coach and such an amazing squad of team around me just kept me motivated and looking at the bigger picture that even if I didn't make world juniors, you know, there's still Commonwealth Games, there's still Olympics, there's still future aspirations that I'm hoping to achieve and, yeah, following the footsteps of my idol, Katarina Johnson-Thompson. 
Well, she's a good idol to have. Before we do let you go, Amelia, if you had a piece of advice for any little athlete, regardless of how well they have been going, if they're competing this weekend or they've just finished their first little athletic season and they may not have set the world on fire, what advice would you give these budding young athletes? Yeah, my advice would definitely be to just keep in mind that you're still so young. From my experience, the people that um, aren't winning at the moment like you still have so much time to bloom and the people who have to work hard to turn those fourths, fifths and just missing teams into national golds and Australian titles, it just proves that if you're not winning now and if you stay focused, committed and set those goals and take absolutely everything on from everyone you come across with experience, if you want it bad enough, it'll just come. So just never give up. Superstar, great advice for whatever age and whatever pursuit you're going, be it athletics or otherwise. Amelia, thank you for jumping on the line, having a chat to us. And uh, no doubt we'll be hearing more from you and about you as we uh, we head towards the next couple of years. No worries. Thank you so much for having me. Anytime, Amelia, sir. She is a uh, young superstar in the right direction. We're done, Johnny, Steph. We're done. Show one, almost in the book. Just like that. Just like that. We'll we'll get all thanks to Chemist Warehouse. Are you going to come back next week, Johnny? Can't wait, Cam. I love spending time with you and talking all things athletics, man. Wait till my idea for next week. Uh, wherever you might be, right around Australia, that's the house of athletics. All thanks to Chemist Warehouse. Make sure you head in, check them out. You're heading every single day to Chemist Warehouse for great savings. On that note, we'll speak next week.